Ozempic is just one of a suite of drugs on the market now being used for weight loss, and it looks like they're here to stay, regardless of what we might think of them. It's early days here, of course, but in the US, the food industry is already saying that consumer habits are changing in response to these drugs. Sales of junk food, sleep apnea machines, alcohol are all down, and airlines are even exploring the implications of lighter passengers. Are these drugs the next big disruptor in the food and health industries? The National Health and Medical Research Council is due to release new guidelines next year for tackling obesity, and it will be fascinating to see how they approach the influence of Ozempic and similar drugs. To chat about some of these uh, ripple effects today with us, Jane Martin is the Executive Manager of the Food for Health Alliance, which used to be called the Obesity Policy Coalition. Jane, welcome. Thanks, Hilary. Great to have you here. And Susie Brain is with us too. She's Director of Food at a business consultancy firm called Titanium. Susie, welcome. Good morning, Hilary. Hi, Jane. Hello. I just love the title Director of Food. That's a life goal there for there, right, me? Um, Susie, I'll go to you first to look at some of the trends coming out of the States. What have you and others in the industry been seeing? Well, Hilary, you couldn't imagine that the food service and hospitality industry could take much more mm. um, hardship. You know, they've come out of the, the pandemic where their turnover went down by 90%. They came out of that to uh, huge demand from customers, but inflation driving their cost of goods up, no immigration, so no staff and, and labour, so really hard for them to recover. And now the threat of not having any customers because of the Ozempic pandemic. Well, how, how big an impact is it really having, though? I mean, we've been seeing uh, reports of investors being less interested in stocks for companies that mm. um, sell snack foods or sleep apnea machines that support people with obesity, for example. But is it having big impacts for company sales on the ground too, or is it more speculative? Yeah, Hilary, I think there's a lot of young men sitting behind spreadsheets and computer screens that are shorting all these stocks at the moment, whereas we're seeing really quite the reverse still, a, a massive, the pandemic taught us that we all love socialising, we all love being out together, and regardless of whether you're um, on a weight loss um, inhibiting drug or not, you're still wanting to get out and enjoy yourself, and being in restaurants and cafes is is really in our culture and in our DNA. In the States, it's interesting, I was reading that 7% of the population are estimated to be on this drug and projections up to 10%. So Mm. that could have quite a big impact, couldn't it? Well, we're starting that at the moment in the work that we do with our clients who are who are landlords, wondering if the restaurateurs are going to be able to keep paying the rent. And uh, what we're curious about is the inverse kind of relationships between obesity, um, overweight and dining out. So, for example, the, the people that eat out the most, the younger cohorts, the millennials and the Gen Ys, they have, if you look at ABS statistics, the lower percentages of their cohorts being in that obese or overweight category. So we're we're really investigating at the moment, will it really affect the hospitality industry or will this be more related to the snack food and um, supermarket aisles where it's more about people that are staying home and eating in and changing their behaviours? I was hearing some anecdotal stories recently of uh, someone who's on one of these drugs and orders from the sides menu when they go out now because the main plates are too large. Could we see new approaches to portion size, for example? 
Yeah, we'd definitely be encouraging that with, with food service operators. They certainly showed us they could pivot during uh, COVID and, and how creative they can be around their menus and things. So, yeah, certainly we would think that trading up, so maybe going from uh, fish to caviar, for example, uh, you're eating less but you're spending the same amount is where we'd be wanting to work with operators to maintain their profits. I have been wondering for years why I couldn't get a choice of sizes in, in the main dishes because I'm always left with stuff on the plate. It seems like such a waste. I'd be excited to see that change, frankly. We're speaking with Susie Brain, who's Director of Food at a business consultancy firm called Titanium, and just exploring some of the implications here and overseas of the uh, influence of these weight loss drugs, which are, are being used to treat obesity um, legally, but what we call off-label uh, for a, a, a purpose different to the, the purpose that they're on the uh, PBS for in Australia. So see, it's quite an expensive drug in the States, and it's not cheap here. What implications does that have for how we might or might not see spending change in hospitality? Will it be pretty niche? Yeah, again, Hilary, I would agree with you on that. Um, when we look at uh, uh, data such as the EMMA report, which studies behaviours of dining out and what, what motivates people, uh, price and um, speed and convenience are one of the big kind of the big drivers of, of the way that we like to take our, our food service. So w- with the cost of Ozempic at uh, at quite an extraordinary level, I don't think it's really going to be able to be taken up by the people that rely on eating fast food because of the economics of it. I was seeing too an interesting factoid that you could use, if you're a business, the option of using more online ordering systems if, if you are worried about declining sales. Why is that a useful strategy? Well, what we've seen in that particular area is that um, – that people tend to spend more when they're ordering online. So the average transaction value per customer goes up by about 26%. So these are some of the ways that the hospitality industry could offset any threat there might be to people not um, dining out as much or spending as much. That's a really handy tip. I'm going to watch myself now with online ordering. (laughs) Good to know the psychology. (laughs) It's the anonymousness of it. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the online shopping mode. Um, So, Susie, overall, it sounds like you don't think we're going to see a dramatic change in the food industry here. Uh, Is that because hospitality has already proved itself able to adapt to changes or or just that you don't think it's going to be uh, taken up very widely here? I think we'll see a combination of both of those things play out, Hilary, as, as it unfolds. Okay, so because hospitality has had to change with a lot of people's different uh, interests in food in recent decades, hasn't it already? That's right. They're already coping with vegan, paleo, um, uh, diabetics, all sorts of different um, types of um, allergies and that sort of thing. This is just another one that they'll add in and pivot about with, as you said, the different uh, sizes, maybe setting more fixed uh, fixed menus or fixed times so that people have they can turn their tables over more. They'll increase their plant-based or healthy alternatives, add in more alcohol-free types of alternatives, lots of ways and strategies that they can uh, overcome uh, any risk to this taking off. Yep, it'll be fascinating to see how the next year plays out, I think. We could see mm. some big changes or less than uh, than has been mooted. Susie, thanks so much for your time and expertise on the program today. 
Pleasure. Thanks, Hilary. Susie Brain, Director of Food at a business consultancy firm called Titanium. Jane Martin is with us too, Executive Manager of the Food for Health Alliance, formerly the Obesity Policy Coalition. Jane, just a quick question. Um, Susie was saying uh, they're looking at more alcohol-free um, options. Does it Ozempic and, and those class of drugs reduce your uh, dependence on alcohol as well? Well, they make you feel full and the food stays in your stomach for longer. So... And alcohol, in fact, is the leading discretionary food or extra food, unhealthy food in, a, in adults' diets. So it's a big contributor to the energy um, that, that people are taking in. So that's all good news that people are eating less. But what we'd also like to see is improvements in what they're eating, less processed foods. How big a, an impact do you think these drugs are going to have in Australia in the next year or so? I think as the supply comes back and, um, as you said, the new guidelines are coming out around treatment and management of people living with obesity, we have a national obesity strategy that's yet to be implemented and funded. So I would expect that we could see big shifts, but we need to see these big shifts across the environment to support healthy eating, but also um, a suite of, of treatment and management for people. If you were a smoker and you wanted to quit smoking, there's a lot of different um, you know, tools there for you that you can use if you um, want to address your weight. It's very limited. So I think really the government needs to look at a suite of measures that meet people where they are, that suit them, um, that are going to support them to manage their weight or lose weight if that's what the, what the aim is, or improve their diets, whatever someone's looking for. Well, in, the, in that landscape, how big a role should these drugs play? I mean, do, do we risk, if they're more widely available, do we risk then the government saying, well, we don't need to have some of these other interventions? I think that's a risk, but I think the National Obesity Strategy, which looks at treatment and management as well as prevention, we wouldn't try and prevent people from smoking and provide support to quit only. I think, you know, it's understood that we need to support, you know, our youngest Australians to have a healthy diet, um, plus, you know, the rest of our population. So, you know, I think we need to do both. And I think it's recognised that both need to happen. And when you talk about our youngest Australians, just give us a sense quickly of, of how big a problem uh, obesity as a health issue is in Australia. Yeah, well, we're one of, out of the um, developed countries, we've got a very high rate. We're in the top 10 um, of overweight and obesity. We have uh, one in four children aged two to four above a healthy weight. Uh, we have almost half of 18 to 24 year olds and more than 80% of men over the age of 45. So it is three, um, two, th sorry, two thirds of adults and a quarter of children. And that's people are getting into these unhealthy weight categories at younger ages. And then, of course, it's socioeconomically patterned. And we have a really serious issue in our remote communities. For example, there are pockets where this is um, really impacting the health of populations. We're speaking with Jane Martin, uh, the Executive Manager of the Food for Health Alliance, about the issue of obesity and what role these new class, this new class of weight loss drugs should or could play in the suite of measures that you're hearing, Jane, outline that we need on the issue of eating out and portion sizes and things. Lots of texts coming in. Kath near Coburg, I would love to eat out more, but I find it too difficult to find low sodium and healthy options. I'm looking for changes so I can be more social. Bernadette in Canberra says, could food outlets please stop selling chips with literally anything and everything? And there are very few outlets that don't offer meal deals with soft drinks and chips from Bernadette. Yeah, upsizing. And Greg uh, from Long Beach 
on Ewan Nation land says any discussion of weight loss should be tied with weight management in maintaining a healthy weight. Uh, very true. It's a very big and complicated discussion. Well, I don't know if we're going to get to every little <laughs> strand of it here today with Jane Martin. But Jane, uh, how well have we been treating obesity as a health issue in Australia to date? Look, I think um, we're finding that Doctors are reluctant, can be reluctant to have discussions with their patients about weight. There's a lot of stigma associated with how someone looks. It's a delicate conversation and then um, health professionals may not have the tools that they need to offer as support. So it is complex, but I think um, we're moving in the right directions. Um, Having these drugs, empowering um, health professionals to be able to have these conversations to talk about the potential impacts as this becomes potentially more widespread uh, and really enabling people to make decisions to support their health where, th- where they need it and where it's acceptable to them. There are always side effects. Um, and But we know that often it's the people with more money, with more resources who are able to afford these interventions, including um, bariatric surgery. And we really need to make sure that this suite of options is available to everybody at a reasonable price. Uh, And that's not the case at the moment. And as you say, everyone for whom it's suitable in conjunction with their medical professionals discussions. I'm hearing from the States that weight loss businesses such as Weight Watchers are shifting to offering some of these drugs. Um, Is that a good thing if we see a shift away from this traditional focus of weight loss businesses on uh, from diet and exercise interventions to just drugs? Look, I think um, with these uh, drugs like Ozempic, it it's meant uh, it, you know it's meant to be in in conjunction with a healthy diet and with physical activity. So those that sort of traditional approach hasn't changed. But I think it's not happening. We're not eating a healthy diet. That's not the environment that we live in. Ultra processed food is cheap. It's very available. No one's talking about downsizing. Everyone's talking about upsizing. And that's these, you know, that's chips, that's soft drinks. So how do we shift that to ensure that, you know, businesses Susie represents are shifting to offering healthier options and supporting people. So it's not just about the drugs, it's about what goes, sits around that for optimal health. And at the moment, we're certainly not at that point. And a lot more work needs to be done in the broader environment to ensure that children are growing up having a healthy, nutritious diet, that that's cheap and very available. And that's what's promoted above, you know, the burgers, fries and you know, snack foods. Yeah, and it's such a big discussion, isn't it? Because it goes to, you know, how much time the family has and the skills about cooking and the the attitude to being able to sit down and enjoy food together. It's a whole bunch of different things, many of which we cover on Life Matters, and I'm very glad <laughs> about that. So in that giant context, Jane, when the National Health and Medical Research Council releases its new guidelines next year for managing obesity, what would be on your wish list? Well, I think really empowering health professionals to be able to have those conversations in in respectful ways with people living with obesity and then for them to have a suite of places to be able to refer people to. So setting up those referral pathways um, and whatever they involve to ensure that people are supported um, to, you know, um, get the best out of whatever treatment they they choose. So I think we really need to uh, set up and buttress um, the health professionals to be to enable them to start those conversations to support people to get the best outcomes for their health. 
um, with a range of tools. And when you talked before about creating healthy environments, what might that look like? Is that something the guidelines could speak to? That's not really the role of the guidelines, but it does sit within the National Obesity Strategy and it's discussed in the National Preventative Health Strategy, which is the um, the, the strategy that sits above that. So really that's creating an enabling environment in a similar way that we do, have done with tobacco control. We haven't just offered support to quit. Uh, we've also um, done things like removing advertising, um, creating um, you know, changing how these products are sold, promoted the price of them. And that's really what we need to do with our food, food environment. So we need to, you know, we need to ensure that it's easy to find healthy options. So that could start with the canteen in an office situation or in a hospital, removing the sugary drinks, which has been done in Victoria, for example, and, and New South Wales and other jurisdictions, ensuring the canteen is healthy in schools, really creating this sort of whole of school healthy environment, um, making sure that the healthy message is pervasive um, and doing things like a health levy on sugary drinks. Half the population in the world has a levy on sugary drinks to encourage reformulation um, and to um, support people to shift to lower no-sugar options. So those kinds of things we'd really like to see. They're outlined in the National Obesity Strategy. A lot, you know, labelling can be improved. The health style rating could be mandatory, upgraded. So there's a lot of things that other countries have done, protecting children from unhealthy food marketing on digital platforms and TV has been passed in the UK and other countries. So we're kind of behind in the policy development. There's a lot that needs to be done. The suite is there. Really, it's um, much of the levers sit with the federal government to push. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the graphic pictures like we used to see on <laughs> cigarette packets of you know, a layer of visceral fat on this chip packet. Very interesting. Um, Jane, what about concerns that these drugs could exacerbate eating disorders and negative body image? Because that's when we talk about the landscape of uh, options available for people, uh, there's strong concerns from advocates around eating disorders that they could really suck people back into really terrible, dangerous behaviours. Yeah, and I think that comes down to empowering health professionals and the broader community to be able to have these conversations in a way that it's not going to undermine or, or do any harm that is going to be um, supportive. And everybody is different that's coming through the door. You, you don't know if they have an eating disorder or not. So everybody needs to be treated in a way that's not going to be um, harmful. And that, again, is a, an education piece, I think, with the, the communicators um, and the health professionals who are supporting these people. I heard a story the other day about someone who said, I was so stunned and happy that my doctor said, is it okay if I talk to you about your weight rather than we need to talk about your weight? So tiny little interventions like that can be really powerful. Mm. I want to tackle this with you, Jane. Denise from Summerhill in Sydney sent in this text. This program is trivialising a problem. People who use the drug for their diabetes can't get it. It's in short an unreliable supply. The cost to the PBS, i.e. the taxpayer, $134 for four injections. The fast food industry, says Denise, is largely responsible for obesity. Don't support it. So you're on the same page there. But what? How? How uh, should we approach that issue of that? Some people rely on it. It's not the only drug for for diabetes, but some people do rely on it. Uh, how should we approach that shortage issue when we look at the suite of options available to people with, around obesity? Yeah, and I, I I I feel right now it's important that the people that rely on it have access to it because it you know you go through those side effects every time you change the drug or if you stop the drug. So I think. 
you know, that's what that needs to be um, looked at. And obviously people are getting this drug for, for other reasons, but it's a supply, it's a supply problem really right now. And, but I, I, my, my feeling is that people who are on this drug should be able to to access it. For diabetes. Yes. Yeah. Jane Martin, it's been really fascinating just dipping a tiny toe into this water with you. Thank you for your time today. Thanks very much, Hilary. Jane Martin's Executive Manager of the Food for Health Alliance, which used to be called the Obesity Policy Coalition. Wealth of experience and uh, and uh, research and resources there. And we heard earlier from Susie Brain, Director of Business Consultancy Titanium Food. I'll leave you with this text. My endocrinologist would delight in hearing discussion about weight loss and play size. Her professional view is we have too much food on our plate. Fist size of meat once a week and Mount Everest of vegetables suffice. Thank you very much for that. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks all free on the ABC Listen app.